just get my uh, recording going. So I sort of, I'm really happy that Sarah said what she said because, um, hang on. Okay, I actually anticipated that some folks might not know what really what penitence means. It is kind of a $5 word. So um, as just a fun exercise, y'all shout out at me, what are the words or ideas that come to mind when you think the word penitence? Just shout them out at me. Say again. Okay. Kneel. Shame. I think of that too. What else? Flagellation. You, is that what you mean by that? <laughs> Augie's making, making motions. Flagellation. Okay. Does anybody think of punishment? Okay. Yeah. Punishment, guilt, shame, kneeling, flagellation. It's all negative. Like our, our concept of penitence is overwhelmingly negative, isn't it? Okay. Put a pin in that. Don't forget. Lent is a penitential season of the church calendar. So what the heck does that mean? In this, in this season, we are traditionally encouraged to make some sort of sacrifice or fast as part of our acknowledgement of our imperfection and of our sinfulness. So during Lent, we explore the dark side of ourselves. We go into the shadow into the muck, and we do the necessary inner work of acknowledging our messes and our addictions and our preoccupations and our blind spots and our unhelpful behavior patterns, and then cleaning them up. And for millennia, the church has encouraged this practice, and ours is not the only tradition that contains, that encourages these practices. Many other wisdom traditions throughout the world incorporate seasons of penance and fasting. For instance, you know of Yom Kippur in the Jewish tradition, Ramadan in Islam, and so forth. So in my paradigm in which I grew up and in my worldview, which could possibly be similar to yours, I associate penance with shame, guilt, and punishment. And I was taught as a young person that at my core, I was a sinner unredeemable until the light and grace of God shines on me. I was inherently bad and deserving of punishment from my birth. Shame was my birthright. Guilt was my status. And while acts of penitence weren't necessarily promoted in my tradition, prayers of penitence certainly were. And without that penitential prayer, the sinner's prayer, I was hopelessly hellbound. Now, <clears throat> I've deconstructed a lot of that theology over the years, and maybe you have too, but if you haven't, that's fine. Keep whatever's serving you. But my understanding now, all these years later, is that I am made in the image of God and the love of God, and sin is anything that impedes that image and that love. I want to tell you again, here's what my definition of sin that, I've work, that I work with every day in my life. Sin is anything that impedes love. That's how I think about it. Yeah, I hear some yeah. Okay. So instead of thinking of penitence in terms of shame and guilt, I want to flip it on its head a, a little bit so that we can think of it more as house cleaning, like, like a condoing of the soul getting rid of everything that doesn't serve you or spark joy or function. 
And I like to think of Lent as a time of year when we all collectively decide to spring clean our inner selves. So we take away some things, that's fasting, to make room for other things. And it's in the making room for other things and implementing other better patterns that I think penitence can teach us something good. Okay, so we already said it's kind of a $5 word, and if you didn't grow up in church, you might not have a clear idea. Thank you, Sarah, for reading the definition. I'm going to read it again. We were on the same wavelength this morning. I think it's important. I really do. Um, Okay, Google's definition, Webster's, whatever. The act of feeling or showing sorrow and regret for having done wrong, repentance or contrition. And it shares the same Latin root as repent. Now, I've heard repentance defined in Christian circles as turning away from, changing direction. So the linguistics of the word present penitence to us as though it's a feeling, like a feeling of remorse. But I want to present the idea of penitence today to you as both a practice and a spiritual posture, a practice and a posture. So yeah, I think penitence starts with a feeling, but that feeling leads to action or change if we're dealing with true penitence like what is portrayed in Scripture. In Scripture and in Catholicism, penitence is often associated with and mentioned alongside confession. So you confess and then you make penance. That might, that might be acts, or it might be prayers, whatever. Some folks even think that this is what Christ meant in the Beatitudes when he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who wake up to their own failings and their own complicities in unjust systems and who lament them and face them and make penance. So, While I was preparing for this sermon, it occurred to me to go back and read the story of David when he rapes Bathsheba. And then he has her husband killed to cover up the rape. It's really bad. Um, The prophet Nathan confronts David with his wrongdoing. And when David realizes he's been caught, then he gets weepy and he laments the destruction that he has wrought. And he writes Psalm 51, which I encourage you to go back and read, because it is one of the greatest prayers of contrition in the Judeo-Christian canon. It's beautiful. So, penitence is not contrition, but it follows along after it. Penitence is both a posture and a practice. It's a posture of willingness to change, of Willingness to incorporate new information when we get it. It's willingness to not idolize the old way out of a loyalty to tradition. Because often we're learning that the old way is unjust. It's the willingness to be contrite and brokenhearted over our wrongdoing, yes. But it doesn't stop there. Penitence, true penitence, desires to make amends but not because of shame and guilt. In fact, I want us to disconnect any notion we have of penitence being associated with shame. Just go ahead and in your mind disconnect them. 
Instead, penitence happens because we have become awake to the beautiful way of Christ and to the possibilities that exist in heavens existing on earth. Because we earnestly, like St. Paul, want to press on toward the goal of the prize, which is the policy of Christ here on earth. Yeah? Okay. So, Our tradition, the Christian tradition, has focused a lot on personal penitence. A bit much, I might, perhaps. Perhaps a bit much. And what we haven't given much attention to over the centuries is to communal or collective penitence. And I think, folks, I think that's the moment we're in right now. We are collectively waking up to old ways of being that are unjust, and that are not in line with heaven on earth. And it, it would be easier to stay asleep to them. So racism, white supremacy, misogyny, epidemic gun violence and gun worship, environmental degradation due to poor food production policies and our addiction to fossil fuels, factory farm pollution and plastic in our oceans, scapegoating the poor in our health care debates. These are all large-scale, collectively unjust systems that we, us here in this room, perpetuate and prop up in various ways. And they will take large-scale, collective confession, lament, and ongoing penitence to remedy. It's through the work of long-term penitence that we make amends for these evils. Our government doesn't want to do it, so it's going to start with us, with a few awake souls supporting one another in a room. So for instance, part of my penitence for white supremacy is to be actively listening to and amplifying authors, preachers, and influencers of color, even though they might make me uncomfortable in my whiteness. Me, educating myself and working through the implications of my own privilege is part of my ongoing penance. Me, advocating for the rights and safety of people of color is part of my penance. It's part of my repentance, my turning away from white supremacy and toward the bold and diverse community of heaven. Another instance. Part of my penitence for environmental abuse is to actively take steps to drive less, to do the very inconvenient work of shifting my um, eating habits to ones that are more sustainable and involve less pollution and plastic, to actively work to reduce the waste that my household produces and the resources it consumes. So I'm turning away from excessive consumerism and toward creation care, which is more in line with the polity of heaven. So, this posture of penitence that we can strive for is one of willingness to look pain in the eye 
as Brene Brown says. We look pain in the eye. It's one of willingness to endure the discomfort that comes with waking up and the work that waking up takes. Waking up is hard. It's jarring and disorienting. You know, we wake, when we wake up our girls, we go and we turn the closet light on first because if you just turn all the light on at once, it's going, it's going to make, put you in a bad mood, right? It's hard. Waking up is hard. And it means realizing things that you thought made sense don't make sense anymore. And that trying to get them to change is going to take a lot of work on your part. But it's work that makes space for thriving. And this, my friends, is how I'm thinking of penitence. This penitence is what we do once we realize we were dead and asleep and the lights were off. Instead of a punishment, our penance is us clearing space for life and abundance. I read some of Father Rohr's thoughts on penance, and he points to St. Francis's way of approaching it. He says that for Francis, penance is, quote, not some kind of dark asceticism, but a proactive, free leap into the problem. A proactive, free leap into the problem. And you can read St. Francis's own words about penance there in the guide. I included them, but here they are. He says, The Lord gave me, Brother Francis, thus to begin doing penance in this way. For when I was in sin, it seemed too bitter for me to see lepers. He wanted the lights off. And the Lord himself led me among them, and I showed mercy to them. And when I left them, what had seemed bitter to me was turned into sweetness of soul and body. And afterwards, I delayed a little and, left the, and then left the world. It turned into sweetness of soul and body. It wasn't a punishment. It turned into sweetness. And he says he left the world. He left the world of sleep, of avoidance of the needy, and ignorance of the world's problems. And he woke up to a world of service to the needy, which was a life of penance a life of change-making and good deeds and continual awakening. There's a huge metaphor in Christianity, which is of moving from death to life. But there's also, you'll see it if you study the scriptures, there's also this movement of asleep to awake. Like, for instance, the, gar- the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane at- and also at the Mount of Transfiguration, not just at Gethsemane, when Jesus seems to be constantly having to try to wake them up, but they want to stay asleep. So death to life, asleep to awake. But here's the kicker. We don't just wake up one time in this life on this earth. We are constantly, if we're willing, we're constantly on a journey of awakening and of becoming aware more and more of the divine. And at the same time, aware more and more of the suffering of our siblings around us, which Lenten fasting helps us to see. And Lenten penitence offers us an opportunity to help repair. And in our Philippians 3 text, 
we get that same sense of forward motion when St. Paul says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on, he says. Our penitence beckons us forward out of old systems and broken ways that we were accustomed to and comfortable with and pressing on into heaven's new reality here on earth. Penitence is not a punishment. It's not a consequence. Penitence is an about face that we do as a result of becoming awakened to this world and we do it hopefully, willingly, and with great love and joy. So the penitence of Lent isn't intended to tell us that we are nasty and horrible. It is meant to encourage and redeem, not demean and condemn. The true penitence that we are looking for spurs us to action in the world, opening our eyes and inspiring creative and redemptive work, clearing the way for justice and mercy. True penitence calls to our deepest identity as God-imaged world builders. It says, okay, sorry, I got confused by all that other stuff the confused world was telling me and I got a little off track and I'm awake now and my head is clear and I can make myself useful. So the best thing that I can do this morning, that I could hope to do, is to inspire you to a willingness to assume the posture of penitence. And if I'm really, really ambitious, I might hope that you'd be inspired to educate yourself on some of those large-scale broken systems that I mentioned and see what penitential changes could you make is not easy. It takes humility. It takes admitting that we've been wrong and that we don't have all the answers and that we've been complicit. And it takes practice. Penitence is or it can be not a punishment, but a practice of making ourselves available to the world and available to God to be useful to God's work in the world. So I'd like to close this out with a prayer. You guys can go ahead and come up. Oh God, may your beauty and loveliness inspire us to penitence. Not because we're ashamed or guilt-ridden, but because we want to live as reflections of that beauty and loveliness and to make human culture systems more beauty, beautiful and lovely. Help us, O God, to have the humility, persistence, and willingness to do penitential work in the world. Amen.